Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast. We're your co-hosts, Terry and Bridget. Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore the different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We're not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing personal experiences, we can all learn from each other that while depression convinces us that we're utterly alone, that our best days are in the past, and that we won't experience joy or hope again, those thoughts are symptoms, not truths. Hearing others shamelessly discuss their mental health journeys provides information, connection, and hope taking away some of depression's power. Hello, Terry. Hello, Bridget. So as you well know, we are on social media every day of the year. Giving Voice to Depression has a highly engaged Facebook support community, and we have posted across many platforms daily since we launched in February of 2017. We also follow thousands of mental health advocates, organizations, researchers, and other people who we learn from and get ideas for posts and podcast episodes. And that's how we first encountered this week's guest, Victor Armstrong. He is the director of the Division of Mental Health, Developmental Disabilities, and Substance Abuse Services for North Carolina's Department of Health and Human Services. You see, whenever I come across a post or comment that resonates with me, I take a screenshot of it so I can find it and read it again when I need to. And one day recently, I noticed that my phone was just filling with Victor's posts. And I thought, if I find some comfort in his words, maybe you will. Words like a recent post of his that reads, if you're experiencing deep depression or feeling suicidal, no, I don't fully understand the depths of your pain. No one ever fully understands another person's pain. But I do know that you matter. Your life matters. You are enough. And you are not alone. If you need to hear that last part again, like I do, Victor wrote, I don't fully understand the depths of your pain. No one ever fully understands another person's pain. But I do know that you matter. Your life matters. You are enough. And you are not alone. Here now is Victor Armstrong giving his voice to depression. To be honest, I didn't have a defined theme or focus for my interview when I called Victor. I think exhausted from pandemic life, maybe I just wanted to hear him say the wonderfully reassuring and validating messages he writes all the time. As it turned out, not having a plan was the best plan for this conversation because it allowed for an organic discussion of what apparently needed to be discussed that day between two mental health advocates who want nothing more than to make the world a safer and more supportive place for everyone living with depression or other conditions. Yeah, I think that one of the things that that we always should strive to do is see a person for their humanity and uh, not get fixated on the things that we perceive as strengths or weaknesses. And we have a tendency, which is just human nature, human nature we, we migrate towards and celebrate things that we see as um, evidence of strength. And we tend to either shy away from or condemn those things that we perceive as weakness. And categorizing those of us who live with mental health challenges as weak 
is not only a grossly incorrect insult, it's potentially dangerous. Because you cannot begin to understand what that person is going through. Um, in fact, when I think of people who live with suicidal ideation, to think about the fact that they fight a battle every day, and sometimes the battle seems to be life itself, and to have the strength to keep fighting to live is something that should be celebrated and not something that should be condemned. Victor believes that if family members, friends, and the general public were able to shift their perspective in one key way, they'd be much better equipped to be there for people who need them. I think that we can get to the point where we are responding to the behavior and responding to what we're seeing from that individual, and we lose sight of the fact that underneath it all, there is a mental uh, health challenge that's driving that behavior. Um, and we need to focus on not the anger, not the frustration, uh, not the disorganization, but the person who's at the heart of that and at the core of that, who is someone that, that is a person of value and a person that, that we should show compassion and, and love to. And I think that also helps that individual in, uh, in their recovery journey because everyone needs support, whatever your life journey is. And for a person who's in recovery from mental health challenges or uh, substance use disorders, uh, I think that support is even that much more important. And there's a new group of people who need support now. People who may never before have understood that there's a mental health spectrum and that our position on it can shift due to no fault of our own. I think there will be people who understand just how fragile our lives are and how fragile our mental wellness can be um, as a result of having gone through this, this pandemic. That includes adults. You know, you may have a, a, a mother who is now trying to balance uh, doing her job and keeping kids uh, online for school during the day um, and then trying to, to maintain their household who now sees all these challenges almost to the point of, I can't do it all. And it begins to take a toll on, on, on her mental wellness or a father who, you know, may have lost his job or uh, may also find himself as a single parent or um, someone who's, who's in the household and just trying to balance some of the fear and uncertainty around the pandemic. One of the things I'm very mindful of is that for, for our young people, many of them are um, having to balance um, not being able to be with their friends. Some are having to be um, at home in environments that could be, it could be unhealthy. They could be abusive um, um, environments for, for them to be in. They've lost family members. They've seen parents or grandparents or, or friends of the family, aunts, uncles pass as a result of COVID. And they're trying to process all these things. So I think also as we're looking at the, the mental toll that this is going to take on our children, um, it's going to force all of us to look more closely at both uh, access to resources um, and uh, the need for us all to be more mindful of what other people are going through who are living with these mental health challenges. And while acknowledging the reality of mental health challenges certainly counts as progress, awareness without action does not change things in the meaningful ways that are needed. I would like to think that it will move us forward in the way that we think about those challenges, and I, and I believe it will. But I also recognize that there's always going to be a segment of the population who still has that, well, in my day, 
uh, we didn't have these kind of issues and we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. And, you know, even in, in the black community, I know that historically uh, mental health has not been talked about. And, you know, I was raised with the mindset that you, you have to be resilient and that um, people who experience depression or anxiety um, are just demonstrating um, spiritual or moral weakness. And so we still have a lot of those kinds of uh, lines of thought to overcome. And so while I'm optimistic, I- I'm not going to assume that, um, that we will move forward in the way that I would like to see us move forward. It can be easy when we're the person with something, a condition or situation, to think that no one else understands what we're going through or that people are judging and or discriminating against us for factors outside of our control. When it comes to mental illnesses or mental health challenges, Victor says those concerns are not just in our heads. I have always been fascinated by psychopathology and you know the way that we interact with each other and the way that we make sense of the world. Um, and then I've also always been a person that was interested in social justice issues. And the more that I learned and experienced about uh, people living with mental health challenges and then reflected back on my childhood growing up as, um, you know, an African-American male in the rural South, son of a preacher, um, and and realizing that in in my lifetime, I I never once heard all the years that I was going to church, I never heard uh, mental health or mental illness spoken about in the church. And so... For me, I think it was the culmination of all those things that led me to really think about the fact that of all of the historically marginalized groups and all the people that um, face discrimination, no one has really faced discrimination like people living with mental health challenges. That bears repeating. Victor, a man of color, believes that of all the historically marginalized groups, no one faces discrimination in the way people with mental health challenges do. Even as um, as a black man, um, I think about all of the things that I've seen historically, you know, systemic racism and um, health disparities. But then imagine dealing with that as a black man living with depression, not being free to talk about it, or a black man living with anxiety, or, um, you know, a black man who is is fighting suicidal thoughts, but also being told at church on Sunday that if you die by suicide, you go to hell because it's an unforgivable sin. And I think, you know, all those things just made me really choose this as my path of, of advocacy um, and to try to give voice, not to the voiceless, because I think everyone has a voice. Um, I think that it gives me an, a, a way of using my voice Uh, my platform to elevate their voices and their stories. So we asked, with an admitted level of exasperation, why? Why is mental health still a taboo subject in 2021, when so many other things that were whispered about and hidden in the past can now be discussed and addressed more openly? There was a time when we couldn't talk about gay, and in fact, people uh, in the LGBTQ community, it, it hasn't been that long ago that they would have been um, perceived as mentally ill. You know, we look at even cancer. There was a time when you didn't say the word cancer out loud. So I think, I think as a society, we do evolve. But I think that, you know, we in, as Americans, and I think it's not just America, but I think America is, 
is probably further behind in this than um, some other countries, but we, we value strength. Um, we value uh, taking charge and we value people that we perceive as uh, being able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. So we've always kind of had that. And I think that we somewhere along the way um, labeled uh, people who were experiencing mental health challenges as having done something to cause it, you know, or to uh, it, it, they gave into it. You know, if you were stronger, you wouldn't be depressed. Cause it and gave into it. Yikes. Yes. We will continue our conversation with Victor next week. But today in closing, Bridget and I want to take a minute to say if you have been made to feel weak or somehow less capable of handling normal life because of a mental health condition, we're sorry. Really, truly. And we have too. So we're going to close today's episode by reading some excerpts from an article by Lauren Brady from Bridgewater State University titled, The Strength in Depression. Lauren writes, after my diagnosis with depression, I saw myself as weak and that those around me would see me as weak as well. Coming out the other side, I have found that those of us with depression are, in fact, the strongest of people. We are the fighters. So let us put a different spin on depression. Let us see it for the strength that those of us that deal with it day in and day out possess. For starters, Lauren writes, be proud of yourself every day. Because every day you are doing something, even if just a small part, to beat your depression. Just getting out of bed in the morning when everything inside you is telling you to stay swaddled within the comforting grasp of your bed, because facing the day and the pain you carry around on your back like a ton of bricks won't be worth the effort it will take to do it. Just stay in bed, you tell yourself. Well, recognize it or not, the second you choose to put your feet to the floor and stretch your arms up to the sky and start moving, you are one day closer to the stronger version of yourself. When every day is a fight, the strength to keep fighting is an immense feat. That smile that you put on your face in times when tears and cries are all you feel is strength. Helping those around you who are struggling when you yourself are drowning in your own well of emotion is a sign of your strength. It proves that you are strong enough to not only carry your pains, but help someone whom you love carry theirs. The tears that you shed and the cries let out do not make you weak. It proves that you have the strength to acknowledge your own pain and to let those around you see the pain you're holding on to with all of your being. It shows that you're willing to be vulnerable, being able to trust people to be willing to help you carry around the weight that is your depression is scary. But once the right people find their way in, you don't feel so alone and you don't feel as heavy. Depression doesn't define you. It's going to fight you, but fight it right back. The harder the fight you give, the more you gain in return. I wouldn't be the person I am without my depression. And for that, I am grateful. While it was the worst time of my life, and there were times when I didn't even want this life anymore, on the other side, there is no other life I would want and no other person I would rather be than myself. Lauren closes with, so the next time you hear the word depression, 
or speak to someone about depression. Take it for what it is, a fight by the strongest among us. Mm. Right? I just found that so reassuring. And when I was hearing Victor talk about the weaknesses and everything, we got it. We got a quote from this article or basically read the whole thing, which is what we did. Right. And being just that that turning it around and putting a spin on it to be grateful to your depression for who it's made you and what it's taught you and the compassion and strength that it's cultivated in you. Um, which is, I think, honestly, I think is true of any struggle. Depression just happens to be ours. Mm-hmm. And I will go to my grave detesting my depression, but I do accept that it has formed me, that it has uh, influenced me in ways that have made me, as you say, a better and more empathetic and stronger person. Thank you, Victor. Thank you, Lauren. And I guess thank you for my depression. I can't go that far, but Victor will hear from (laughs) you again next week. Yikes, Bridge. (laughs) We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.